This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm superstar Frank Morano, one of the staples of the American courtship process is that uh, traditionally, and these days anyway, I know at different times there were different traditions, a man, when he asks a woman to marry him, will buy her or give her a diamond engagement ring. I realize there's a lot of exceptions to that, but that's that's the broad strokes of the tradition. I did that with my wife, and um, and she seems to like it. I think she's got a beautiful ring. You know, it's not huge, but I think it's a ring that fits her and her personality, and and I think it looks beautiful on her, and she likes it. Like I said, well, now have you noticed? The explosion in the marketing, the sale, and the use of something called lab-grown diamonds. The last few years, a couple of things have happened. These lab-grown diamonds have significantly decreased in price. Whereas just a three or four years ago, you could get a one carat lab grown diamond for, I don't know, $3,300. Now that same one carat lab grown diamond would be just a little more than $1,000. So the prices have fallen by almost two thirds in just three or four years. And more and more jewelers are reporting that lab grown diamonds are a bigger and bigger part of their business. I, um, you know, I listen to a lot of radio and there's one jeweler that specifically goes out of his way to market against lab grown diamonds. And what he does is basically he says that he finds lab grown diamonds worthless. So what he does, the kind of promotion that he's running in these radio commercials that I hear is that if you buy a real diamond, he'll throw in a lab grown diamond free. Well, my understanding though is that these lab-grown diamonds are really the same. They have essentially the same chemical makeup as natural ones. They look the same unless viewed through very sophisticated equipment. 
that gauges the characteristics of emitted light. You can't, without sophisticated equipment, you can't tell the difference. So what's happening? Well, uh, the very interesting story in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend from Page that because these lab-grown diamonds are so inexpensive in comparison to the real diamonds, that men are buying their fiancés larger and larger diamond rings. And the headline in the Wall Street Journal piece is the embarrassment of having to explain your monster rings. And the subheadline is lab-grown diamonds make it cheaper to get engaged, but there are rocky moments. So uh, one wedding planner, Sterling Buley, is quoted in this journal piece and is giving some advice for brides-to-be regarding lab-grown diamonds, which obviously, as I said, cost a fraction of the natural ones. Quote, if you're trying to get your man to propose, they'll propose faster if you offer this as an option. (laughs) Uh, Recently, a friend's fiancé thanked me the next three times I saw him for telling him about the cheaper lab-made option. Man-made diamonds are catching on big time, despite some lingering stigma. You know, again, I'm not really a jewelry person. I don't, I don't know a lot about jewelry, especially diamonds. My friend uh, Frankie Kravitz, who is a great jeweler, that's where I bought Rachel's diamond ring from. It's actually, um, you know, Kimberly Kravitz, who's been on the show before. She calls in from time to time. Great reporter for News 12. We're going to her wedding next, uh, next Sunday, next weekend. That's why I'm not going to be here a week from today because I'm going to be at this wedding. But he's my expert on all things jewelry. My friend Sid Rosenberg has brought, bought things from Frankie. He's a great guy. I got to ask him about these lab-grown diamonds because I am not sure why, if they look the same, there's any sort of stigma at all. So if you're a jeweler or if you're a woman or a man who's fond of diamonds, educate me. Is the stigma solely because it's cheaper Why would you want to spend more money for essentially the same product? What's the big deal? Why aren't lab-grown diamonds ubiquitous at this point? Well, anyway, what's become the increasingly normal, these lab-grown diamonds, this year was the first time that sales of lab-made and natural mined loose diamonds, primarily used as center stones in engagement rings, were split evenly. Isn't that interesting? That's according to uh, data from a jewelry and diamond trend analytic company. So the rise of lab-made stones is bringing up some quirks alongside the perks, according to this Wall Street Journal piece. Now that these blingier engagement rings above two or three carats are more affordable, more people are dealing with the peculiarities of wearing rather large rocks. It uh, chronicles this one woman, Esther Hare, 5'11 former triathlete who sought out a four and a half carat lab-made oval-shaped diamond to fit her larger hands as part of her vow renewal last year. And basically, she said the size of the ring has made it less practical than her former ring, the smaller ring. 
She doesn't wear it for athletic training, and she swaps in her wedding band instead. And she's careful to leave it at home when traveling. A lot of times I won't take it on vacation because it's just a monster. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, Ritani, an online jewelry retailer, lab-made diamond sales made up 70% of the diamonds they sold. That's up from about 30% two years ago. Isn't that incredible? So uh, it mentions Steven Singer, who was the jeweler that I was talking about, who does not like these lab-grown diamonds at all. But um, what's the big deal? I mean, if you can get the kind of ring that you want, if it looks the same, why not? Why spend thirty thousand dollars on an engagement ring? Why not spend ten thousand on that same looking ring and use that twenty thousand dollars? I don't know towards a a house or I don't know the cost of your wedding or you know a really nice honeymoon. So I'm curious if you have any insight into this and the experience in the growth of lab-grown diamonds and where that leaves us. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. You're obviously welcome to uh, comment on anything else that we've covered thus far. We're going to talk with Noam Layden in about uh, 15 minutes, and then Martha Byrne is going to be returning to the show in about 20 minutes. I'm looking forward to both conversations very much. Uh, let me say hello to Rich in Manhattan. Hi, Rich. Hi, Frank. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I want to comment on your idea to send uh, seniors uh, radios. So about a decade ago, Mike Bloomberg sent transistor radios. I don't know how I got on the list, but he sent transistor radios to everybody to promote Bloomberg Radio. And I thought, what a great gift this was. It was fantastic. I don't have a television. I listen to the radio all the time. It is shocking to me how many people, particularly younger people, just don't listen to the radio anymore. They don't even have radios. But if you sent radios to seniors, particularly seniors of a certain age, when they grew up without television, they would really appreciate a radio. So I think it's a great idea, and you could start a GoFundMe page or something like that to raise the money to send it, and they would really like it, I'll bet, because they probably sit around in those nursing homes with, like, Jeopardy on the TV all day and just sit there and veg out, and the radio is, is great. So great idea. Thank you. I, I, uh, I really do think I'm going to pursue this, and in the case of the—thanks, Rich— in the case of those radios that you mentioned, I had one, and basically they would call them a Bloomberg radio, but they only got one channel. They only got Bloomberg radio. So it was clever from the radio station's point of view in that they would send out these these radios with just one channel. I mean, I would love it if our station would do that, but um, I, I would like seniors to be able to listen to whatever they want. 800-848-9222. Nick in New Jersey, what do you know about these lab-grown diamonds? Well, I actually had a comment that didn't have to do with the lab-grown. I just wanted – it had to do with diamonds themselves. Okay. Be my uh, guest. Friend, Yeah, I'm sorry. I just thought you'd find it interesting. A friend of mine got married, and when he before he proposed, he, he didn't like – he had read that, that diamonds themselves were nowhere near as valuable as people had actually thought because he had seen a few documentaries, more than one, and also researched it. And it turns out that where they mine diamonds, places like Africa and such, they kind of hold back the amount of diamonds that they actually make people think exist. 
So it's diamonds themselves are much more common than people realize. And so he showed his soon to be wife this information online and said, look, I'll buy you the diamond ring, but I'd much rather get you something that's more precious, like a, like a ruby or a sapphire or an emerald thing. He, of course, responded with, no, I want a diamond. And, of course, he got her the diamond ring. But I just wanted to mention that, that and I'm sure you'll have other callers that have also seen these documentaries, that diamonds are nowhere near as actual diamonds are nowhere near as valuable as people think they are. It's kind of a scam. Really, yeah, well, that's point. interesting. I, I did not know that, Nick, but I can't say that I'm surprised. I feel so often it seems like everything's a scam, doesn't it? It feels like it there's does, this cabal of uh, of interest that's running every industry. And uh, the, the we, the suckers that are just paying the bills for whatever they say they cost, not just diamonds, but anything, we're just sitting there holding the bag. Thanks, Nick. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Russell's in North Carolina. He's been holding. Hi, Russell. Yeah, hey, Frank. Hey, listen, you, you did mention that you thought Orioles fans wanted us to sign Shohei Otani. Well, no, we didn't. Because, you know what? Shohei Otani last year, the Orioles won 101 games and made nine Point the, the the payroll the opening day payroll was nine point five million less than what Otani's going to make this year. I I, and I the Orioles yeah both the Orioles so, hey. and Tampa did incredible things with uh, with very little in the payroll department. But you're going to tell exactly. me though, Russell, uh, money notwithstanding, let's say money's not an object. If if you had the option of having Shohei Otani on your team, you wouldn't want him. No, because, you know what, at this point, the only thing he's guaranteed to be is a DH. There's no proof that he's going to – you don't know that he's going to be able to pitch again. You don't know that he's going to be able to play the outfield again. There's a lot of unknowns, and that's the truth. That is the freaking truth. Nobody knows that he's going to be able to pitch again. You know, uh, no, I I would know. I would not want him. I, uh, I am. I completely disagree. I completely disagree. If you're giving me an option of show, look, it's not my money, you know, right? So, I mean, it is indirectly because I'm supporting, you know, various Met endeavors. But if you're giving me the option of Shohei Otani or not Shohei Otani, come on. I mean, to me, there's no, there's no contest. There's no contest. The guy's incredible. I mean, you want to say, oh, the only thing that he's guaranteed to be is a DH. You know what? Yeah. And he's a DH that hit 44 home runs last year. Led the league in home runs and an on-base percentage. I mean, this is a guy that might be the first person in history to win the Triple Crown for batting and for pitching. So, And I do think he's the kind of performer, athletically, that will be able to make an incredible uh, rebound when it comes to his his pitching prowess. I could not disagree with you more. Neil's on Staten Island. Hi, Neil. Hey, Frank. About the diamonds. It may be lab growth, but they're still knockoffs. You know, you could buy a gold chain, a 14-carat gold chain, and you could buy another chain of sterling silver that's gold-plated. You can't tell the difference. They look the same, but one's not a gold chain. Right, but so let's say, let's say, so what, right? I mean, if they look the same, what's the big deal? If it's for fashionable purposes, I get, obviously it's not as valuable. I get that. But if you're wanting to, you know, 
show what a nice piece of jewelry looks like, why shouldn't you be able to get the the cheaper version? No, no reason at all, Frank. Listen, why would a woman buy a Fendi bag when you could go to Canal Street and buy a knockoff for a few bucks? Right. Well, so, I, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I think in the case of a knockoff, that really is is theft. But let's say it was maybe maybe costume a costume uh, bag or something that was made to look like uh, something fancy. I think the difference is status, right? So if you know what you're talking about, you'll be able to tell the difference between a knockoff bag and you know with a genuine article. Not me, but if you know your stuff, I don't think you can without the sophisticated equipment that they're talking about here with these lab grown diamonds. But I get what you mean, Neil. Thank you. 800-848-9222, Gnome Laden and Martha Byrne coming up shortly. Uh, Brandon's in New Jersey. Hi, Brandon. Hi, Frank. Good morning. Morning. I, um, I, um, you know, to piggyback off of what the other caller was saying, I mean, diamonds were the, you know, the biggest scam. I mean, they were worthless and until they launched the uh, engagement ring campaign. They, they had no value. Nobody wanted them. So, you know, I don't know what makes the lab-grown diamonds any different from, you know, CZ. Uh, to me, it would be the same thing, but... Well, no, uh, I think you can tell the difference between a cubic zirconia and and a, and a diamond. I mean, if you know your stuff especially, I think you could tell the difference with the naked eye. Right, right. But places like, you know, QVC have had the uh, Diamond Eek for, for 20 years, and that's supposed to be, you know, pretty... Uh, pretty good, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, I just I don't see the point to any of it. But yeah, that's my two cents, Frank. Right? Right. Thank you, Brandon. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Joe is in the Queens. Hello, Joe. Yeah, Frank. I'm concerned about your feet. Thank you. Uh, Glad somebody yeah. is. I I think uh, one idea is to get yourself a good pair. I, I used these when I hiked in national parks. Like hiking uh, uh, boots or shoes that fit comfortably and have a good degree of waterproof on them to go out with and also keep a second pair of uh, of footwear at the office or even two pairs of footwear at the office in case this happens. Because forgetting getting a cold, you could really do some damage to the to the nerves in your feet potentially. Uh, getting ice, getting them iced up like that, Frank. All right. Well, thank you, Joe. 800-848-9222. Rocco is in Saratoga. Hi, Rocco. Good morning, Frank. First off, happy Hanukkah to all my Jewish friends around the world. Israel forever. America forever. Now, diamonds, the bears manipulates the market. They restrict the number of uh, diamonds that are distributed, first of all. Okay. So it's a manipulated market. Second of all, the reason the jeweler wants diamonds to sell for more real diamonds, he gets a better profit margin. Artificial diamonds, they're available. They're cheaper. There goes his profit margin. No, I I understand it from his perspective, but it also opens up by allowing it to be more affordable to the masses it doesn't make this that only the super something only the super wealthy can afford. So while they are able to sell them for a lot less, they're able to have a much broader customer base. True. And now that's why I True. mentioned that that one jewelry company that's had uh, that's seen their right. share of diamonds sold to seventy percent. It's volume, Frank. Volume on the fake ones, right? Sell more at a lower price. You make a, a 
a better profit margin. But he sells less real diamonds at a big, big markup, okay? So he doesn't have to sell as many. Yeah, no, I, I understand the the concept, I guess, and thanks for the call, Rocco. I guess my question is, is would you mind getting a lab-grown diamond? 800-848-9222. If you're considering proposing to someone, would you buy a lab-grown diamond for your fiancé? Knowing that you can get a much less expensive diamond that looks the same or a much larger diamond. Would you? Why or why not? And are you dealing with some of these logistical hurdles of not wanting these monster rings now that the monster ring is something that everybody could have? You know, I remember when um, I used to really enjoy the show Dinosaurs. It was on ABC. It was a I don't know if it was a kid's show. I guess it was. It had some great voices on there, but it was really good. It was on about uh, 30 years ago. And I remember they were describing on this is these are dinosaurs it's a family of dinosaurs they're describing a 90 inch television right and that's a television that was big even for dinosaurs now that is something that you almost hear about all, all over the place not all over the place but a lot of people have 90 inch television large screen TVs and flat screen TVs used to be something that was accessible only for the very well-off. Now, they're accessible to everybody. The price comes down, right? I mean, it's like that with a lot of different forms of technology as well. So I'm wondering if maybe these lab-grown diamonds are the next flat-screen TVs. Is this making diamonds affordable for everybody? And is that a bad thing? 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. I, I, I view it as a positive. I really do. Had I known about this four years ago when I got married, I, I mean, obviously I think, you know, you have to have a conversation with your fiancé about this, probably, right? But had I known about this when I uh, got married, I would have considered a lab-grown diamond. Why not? 800-848-9222. Steve's in Baltimore. Hello, Steve. Good morning. Good morning. morning. I wanted to say that um, I think lab-created diamonds are fine, but I know a lot of women probably will not. And I think that those are the women I would not want to marry because it only makes sense, you know? Why not do something like that? Yeah, right. I mean, uh, that's, uh, that's what I'm looking for is the downside. And maybe it's because I haven't heard any women weigh in on this. I'm missing something. But, yeah. No, I mean, I, I think I'm on the same page as you are uh, on this one, Steve. Are you married? I am. And when I got married, life was a little tougher for me. I paid for a lot of things the first year I was married. I had to buy a house. I, I bought a ring. I paid for our honeymoon completely on my own. And I went to a place that's around here where, you could buy good quality jewelry, but it just happened to be at a discount. Why? I don't know. Maybe it was volume. Maybe it was they got it cheaper. I don't know. But my wife found out about that, and she was really upset that I, I went to a place that's a discount place. It's not a bad ring. It's very pretty. Everybody loves it. So what's the big deal? Yeah. Right? I, I mean, I don't think there is a, a big deal. I mean, I would think she would want you to get a good deal because 
every money that you every dollar that you're not spending on that diamond ring is a dollar that you're spending to build your lives together. Right? You know, exactly. whether it's on your house or nice house, yeah. everything. Food, exactly. That's the way yeah. I think all the time. But yeah. unfortunately not all women think that way. I, I know one. <laughs> Thank you. So anyway, that's Thanks, all I- Steve. Appreciate it. Bill is in Baltimore. Hi, Bill. Hello. How are you doing, Frank? I am uh, better than a cat with a ball of yarn. (laughs) Good for you. Uh, Just a personal preference. I like the real thing from the ground. And my priorities are, if you don't have it, save for it. And especially for the person I love. And secondly, to prove my point, there's a... There was a friend of the family that uh, was bragging to her girlfriends, her boyfriend, who thought so much ever gave her a Wellington diamond. Well, you know what a Wellington diamond is. If not, it's cubic zirconia. So my grandmother nicknamed her Lady Wellington. Uh, well, that's funny. But tell me, tell me why, um, and, and quickly if you can, Bill, tell me why you prefer the real thing to the to the lab grown. I I just like the idea that uh, well you know you may not may not make any logic to you but uh, i just like the real thing it's if you to me if i love somebody i want to give them the best uh, i'm not so sure that well that a excuse me well, that a synthetic diamond that's grown in is the same thing i don't know i'm not a diamond expert yeah, well, thank you, Bill. Uh, someone who is an expert in the news is Noam Layden. He joins us now, and then we'll talk with Martha Byrne. Something tells me her husband didn't get her a lab-grown diamond, but I'll ask her. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. My wife says to me, let's not drive the old coupe. Hitch up once again, the one horse open sleigh. The horse was awful mad, if he could talk he'd say. You'll be sorry you hitched me to a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle bells, as performed by the one and only Yogi Jorgensen, uh, whose real name was Harry Stewart. But uh, and when you listen to this rendition, you can only think of him as Yogi Jorgensen. A, not even actually Swedish, I don't believe, in real life. All right, uh, someone that is also not Swedish joins us to talk news each and every morning. Stand by for the other side of Midnight's News. From New York City, the other side of Midnight and its affiliated stations present national and international news with Frank Morano and news director Noam Layden. Their summary of the world news and personal comments. Get the rest of the story. Hello, Noam. Good morning, Frank. I, I want to compliment you on this new thing you have here. You have a pastry tray for your guests when they come in in the morning. I think this is an excellent idea. There's uh, it seems to be cupcakes, and I don't know what the other pastry is. Uh, th- that's that was there. here when I walked in. Uh, oh, it was. I, I had oh, nothing is... to do with that. I'm betting oh. um, 
Piscopo put that in, or you know, or somebody. It's a remnant of the party that took place here in the kitchen last night. No, no. Uh, my my only my only thing that I've been able to do so far is stay away from the the pastries there. Well, it fits into my story oh perfectly this morning, Frank. Uh, in America, you won't be shocked. You've heard these numbers before. Some forty two percent of adults are now technically obese. And um, the percentage of U.S. children who are now obese has quadrupled since the 1960s, now stands at about one and five. So the question is, is it time to make obesity or heavyweight people a protected class in America? There are a number of cities, all, by the way, blue cities, mm. that have now made uh, fatness, obesity, a protected class. When I... First got out of school, Frank, I worked in an employment agency where you would find people jobs. And I remember one time we had found this woman a job as a receptionist. And the guy called me after a week and he said, she's great, but she's fat and I don't want her at the front desk. Mm. So can you let her go? And there was nothing I could do to wow. push back against that because there was no law protecting it. Right. If she was black or Jewish, then you could have. Like, I, and I wouldn't have been able to say that. I guess they would have found another reason. Right. But uh, and I, that would have been horrendous. But now I could have actually gone up to her at that time in space and said the reason it would have been cruel and mean. But I could have gone up to her at that time in space and said, hey, we're going to let you go because you're too fat. And wow. nothing would have happened to me. Wow. Isn't that well, amazing? That, that is amazing. So how many jurisdictions v have weight as a protected class? I know New York City does. New now, York right? City just passed one in the past year or so. San Francisco, Washington, D.C. among them. There's been this lobby of fat acceptance over the last couple decades, but it's gotten stronger in the last couple years. And they're the ones who have pushed for this bill saying, hey, we are not going to change who we are. And it's time that we be a protected class. Now, Colorado, which is interesting, is considered, I don't know how they figure this out, but they considered America's slimmest state, right? I guess it maybe has the lowest rate of obesity. That's mm -hmm. why they come, call that. And they may be the first state to pass a law now uh, that has to do with obesity and fat acceptance, where you can't um, discriminate somebody uh, 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 on their weight when it comes to a job or, or an employment, uh, or rather housing. Um, and so uh, that could be the first state. Well, other states will go that way. It doesn't look that way. What's interesting is all the red states where the obesity rates are the highest, none of this is in place. Interesting. Blue states, which tend to be the slimmer states, are the ones that have passed these bills. But let's say, for instance, that you uh, you are hiring someone for a job that involves looking fit, right? I mean, or if someone doesn't get hired for a job as a, 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 an aerobics instructor right. and, and they're, they're obese, are they going to be able to contest that yeah. failure to hire because they didn't get hired because they were obese. Meanwhile, if that's your gym, you don't want to hire an obese aerobics no. constructor because people are going to say, I don't want to take aerobics to look like that person. Well, it would be incredibly hard to prove in court, no two ways about it, that you were uh, offered that job. More likely that you were let go from that job, maybe because you've gained some weight or you're overweight, and that's part of this protected class in this New York City bill that passed over the last year, that now you could go back and if you can prove it, um, then, you know, there'll be some sort of payday or they'll go after the business itself. So um, interesting to see how many more cities will sign on to this. There's about 11 already that have uh, put this in place, made fat people a protected class in America. And when you think that 42 percent of adults are now technically obese, 
We're talking about a lot of people who are now part of this protected class in America. Wow. Uh, that is wild. So I guess we'll see where that uh, where that goes. That's going to be very interesting. You know, by the way, this uh, fat acceptance movement has an incredibly long history. Back in 1967, 500 people staged this fat in here in Central Park in New York to protest against bias. Uh, They brought along danishes and cakes and cookies, and they ate them together, and they burnt diet books and photos of skinny models. Oh, my. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds healthy. It does. Speaking of which, I think I'm going to have one of these cupcakes. Yeah, enjoy. (laughs) Enjoy. The the amount that you run, you could have two, and it's not going to have any effect on you. Thank you, Noam. And now you know the rest of the story. I am a uh, big fan of Martha Byrne, and it has uh, nothing to do at all with her acting chops, which are substantial. Uh, Many of you are probably familiar with her as a three-time Emmy Award-winning actress, writer, and producer. Uh, One of her most recognizable roles was on the CBS daytime soap opera As the World Turns. She was in uh, General Hospital, a lot of other things. I have never seen any of those uh, soap operas, but I have always been impressed with her work as a philanthropist, but much more so. Over the last year and a half that we've been chatting, I have been in awe of her strength and her advocacy for her husband, Michael McMahon, who is a former New York City cop, seems as straight as can be, and a guy that I think has been railroaded six ways from Sunday. And I have to tell you, maybe this is my own uh, naivete and lack of appropriate cynicism. I thought for sure, once Martha came on this show, and probably other shows too, and shared the story of what was happening to her husband, that the FBI and the Department of Justice would say, oh, well, okay, we can't allow that. We've got to save face and uh, rectify this right away. Apparently, that has not happened. Very pleased to be uh, welcoming back to the show, unfortunately, under circumstances that are not ideal, Martha Byrne. Hello there, Martha. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for that introduction. Thank you. Well, uh, yes. well, sure thing. So, uh, Martha, we, you know, we, we're getting new listeners all the time. We're on new stations all the time. For people that have not heard our uh, previous conversations about your husband, Michael McMahon, uh, a guy that was incredibly highly decorated as a police officer, one of the most highly decorated police officers there, there was, over 75 commendations, the Combat Cross, which is the second highest award for the um, NYPD. What's going on? What is his very bizarre legal issue and what has happened with his case to date? So when he retired from the NYPD, he was involved in a police chase, which ended his career. He became a private investigator and was extremely successful and really changed his career and life. I mean, he was severely injured on the job when he left NYPD. And he, things were going great. He got a routine phone call in the fall of 2016 from an American business. Uh, her client needed to find somebody who had stolen money from his company, his his construction company, which happened to be from China. But he, the man that stole the money was here in the United States. So it was a very routine case. He found some assets of the man. He hired two former NYPD detectives who were retired He spoke to two federal agents about the case in 2016 and 17, early 17. 
He worked for a few days doing surveillance. He notified the police every time he was doing surveillance. He did reports. He did everything by the book, nothing, totally routine. And four years later, they came to my house and arrested him for failing to register as a foreign agent and interstate stalking. Now, here's the thing. He is a private investigator. That's like arresting a plumber for changing a pipe. They do surveillance. They do background checks. This is so routine. The subject of his surveillance never saw him. He testified at trial that the the quote-unquote victim couldn't identify him. And he was found guilty of, he was found not guilty of count one, which was conspiring to violate FARA, which was the crux of the case, because that was about the foreign government, the Chinese government. But he was found guilty on violating FARA and interstate stalking and conspiring to commit interstate stalking. Now, this is preposterous. So, of course, I mean, I'm outraged. I was disgusted. The FBI lied on their criminal complaint. They, everybody in this case lied except for my husband. The prosecutors lied. The so, so-called cooperating witnesses who never testified against my husband, by the way, and not one agent who worked on this case testified, not one FBI agent who testified, I mean, I'm sorry, who worked on this case testified. So we couldn't cross-examine him. We couldn't talk about his career at trial. We couldn't talk about a civil lawsuit against the subject of his surveillance. We were banned from talking about that. We were banned about talking about the China Initiative, which was a huge, huge deal back in 2017, 18, 19. We're not allowed to talk about that. I mean, sit there in a courtroom and hear them lie day after day. I'm horrified. You know, it's like we teach our children, tell the truth and everything will be fine. And when our highest institution is supposed to be upholding truth and justice, blatantly lie to create a case against my husband and perpetuate that lie to the jury every day was horrifying. So, of course, we've, we've you know put in motions to dismiss the case and or grant a new trial. And then the government responds with like, well, we kind of lied. You know, they 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 use this language. They're very, very they, they get the, around these things by using certain languages like plain error. Well, it was a plain error, but ignore that because there's all this other evidence. But that's evidence that they created. Just, so- just to be clear, um, Martha, the government in their response to uh, your husband's lawyer's motions they admitted their error, which it was basically their version of an error was not telling the truth. Yeah. So they say things like, like, for instance, they knew for since 2016, 17, maybe, or maybe, I don't know, that my husband never witnessed a very vital meeting, apparently between a subject and his father who had flown in from China. They have used that, that story in every single document. Michael was never there. He never saw it. They knew it. They had documentation. They had cell phone records. They had his reports. They they saw everything, you know, down to our probably our, you know, doctor's appointments. They've looked at everything in our lives, and yet they perpetuated that lie. So in the response, they say, "Well, he wasn't there technically, but the witness, quote unquote, witness says she was followed by a non-American person. So one could assume, and we can infer that that was him, but they know it wasn't him." They have documentation. They have cell phone pings. And it, it went beyond that. Like every single thing that they said in court, they had a, a, an excuse for it. And they can infer evidence. You know, inference is a lie. 
And it's not right. You know, you should, if, if you know for a fact that that is false information, it should be just totally taken out of a case. And they've known for years, since 2017, my husband was a victim in this case. The fact that the government didn't protect my family against people that Christopher Ray, in a press conference, an international press conference said, were acting like an organized crime syndicate is disgusting. I want to know, were they by my house? They had my address. If these people were so dangerous, why are they talking to these Chinese agents and not my husband? Do you realize in their four-year investigation, they never spoke to my husband. They never spoke to the two other NYPD detectives who retired. They never spoke to the two federal agents who were involved in this case ever. But they spoke to Chinese agents who, most of them fled the country, by the way, on our watch. Or they lied to the FBI. At trial, they had a, a witness, one of their cooperating witnesses, who admitted on the stand that he lied to the FBI at least five times. These are the people that the FBI are speaking to, but not law enforcement in this country. Now, they never went to the local police either because I went to the local police mm. after my husband was arrested and said, did they ever come here? Do you have any documentation? No. This is, un- this is so wrong. They put the American people at risk, the national security at risk. And by the way, if they went to my husband in April of 2017, if they spoke to him, brought the other highly decorated U.S. law enforcement involved in this case, brought them into this case, crimes would have been prevented. Now, here's the deal. In the Southern District of New York, our, my husband's case is out of the Eastern District. In the Southern District of New York, at the exact same time, 2016 to 21, there was a fox hunt case. That's what this case is. Going on exactly at the same time, not one of the private investigators connected to that case was arrested. They had lists of 12 people to look for. They did, they went on people's property. They were taking pictures. None of those PIs were arrested. Only my husband. He's the only one. And I, you know, you know, it's really disturbing. It's like, you look at my husband's career. Why in the world, why, why in the world would he do this? You know, at the end of the day, they put his finances up at this, in this case, he made $19,000, right? They put a, put a big chart up. Our attorneys got up and said, could you please open up that, that slide and show that how much money he put out in this case. You know, he walked away with a few thousand dollars on this case. Wow. A few thousand, a few thousand dollars. Is he really going to risk his, the safety of his family, by the way? They want, they want you to believe that he sat down with these people from China. They, they recruited him, right? They recruited him at a Panera Bread meeting. And then he called two of his former coworkers from the NYPD to work for him spoke to two federal agents, notified the local police five times of the surveillance, did invoices, and made a few thousand dollars. This is what the government wants wants you to believe, that he would do something like so, this. So, Martha, let me, let me ask you, in your view, obviously there's no way for you to know necessarily, but why do you think they're going after your husband with such vigor? I mean, what what do they have to gain by prosecuting him? Who is being helped or hurt by this prosecution? Well, I've thought about this for three years now, and he's the only American involved in this case. And I think they wanted to send a message to China that this is we will go after Americans, too, because the, first of all, the Chinese agents, many of them fled. The, the masterminds behind these Fox op- operations are in China. And they know that they, they, they were in China. They left. They, were, they came here in our country, and they, they were, came under their own names. 
They were Chinese police officers. They were taking classes in, in Houston and Connecticut. Like the government, the federal government knew they were here. They knew that they were doing these things, but they weren't warning private investigators. They weren't giving them some, the local law enforcement a heads up what's going on. So I feel like they, 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 this is a failed, another failed FBI operation, and they had to show face. And they had to do, bring this case down. And this is October of 2020, and it was China, and it, it was a message, and that's it. And I've seen, I've been following, I'm doing a lot of research, and I find video clips of high-ranking members of the federal government talking about, well, you know, we have to send a message to China, we have to send a message to China. And I'm thinking, you don't sacrifice my family's safety, my husband's reputation, his career, his future, my family's future, because you need to make a statement to sure. the Chinese government. Okay, that's not right. Oh, what's going on with your husband now? Where, where is he? Is he allowed to remain out of prison? Um, you know, if, while these legal machinations play out, or is he currently incarcerated yeah. somewhere? Yes, thank God. You know, thank God. In, in court, you know, we immediately stood up and said we're going to be filing motions to to overturn this case, and we're going to be filing motions for a new trial. You know. And the judge was clearly, you know, she was there. She saw what happened. I mean, we had jurors falling asleep. They didn't ask one, ask questions about one readback in our case for a three-week trial. Didn't ask for one readback. You know, she knows. She saw my husband did cash invoices for this case. She, she, she paid attention. She knew we were going to fight, fight back. You know, so we pray that she, she does the right thing here and overturns this case. You know, so, yeah, he's home. You know, we pray every single day that justice will be served. You know, at some point, someone has to do the right thing here and fix this. So much damage has been done to our family over this and to the country. I'm sorry. If, if they had brought him in and worked with him, he worked on federal cases as an investigator. He worked on thousands of cases in his career. He was so good at his job. He would have loved to have worked with them if they came mm. to him. But they chose not to, and it's wrong. Martha, and, I have to run, but uh, tell me quickly, yeah. what is the next step in the uh, legal process that he's going through? So right now we're waiting for the judge to, you know, we, we replied again, we're waiting for the judge to decide, make a decision whether or not to grant us a new trial. And it should be, it could be any day, it could be next year, you know, we were just waiting for that. And, you know, it's, 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 it's painful to wait, but I feel like we, we have a solid argument. I mean... Mm-hmm. You know, we have the facts on our side. We have the truth on our side. And we have to keep fighting, and we'll never stop. Uh, Martha Byrne, I uh, appreciate the time. Please continue to keep us posted on this. Uh, uh, Wishing you the best, and Michael. Thank you. And you guys, if you want to help us, you can go to the pipehitterfoundation.org, pipehitterfoundation, with an H.org, and it's people who we support. Michael McMahon, they've been incredibly supportive for us, and you know, in, in the darkness, there was light when they called and said they were going to help us. And um, we couldn't get it through without without the support of our w- friends. Wishing you the best of like luck. You, you got to keep Thank us posted. You. Pipe Hitter Foundation, uh, Martha Byrne. Horrible story. Har- absolutely horrible. I mean, what a nightmare. All right. If you want to be heard for 15 seconds, you can. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano.
This is The Other Side of Midnight. We will end this program, as we do each program, by giving you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds at 800-848-9222 as part of... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Lisa! Dashing through the snow Mike! Morning, Frank. Does this remind you of anyone? I'm on no sleep. I'm on no sleep. No sleep. I'm on no sleep. No sleep. If I was better rested, I could probably recognize it. Gary! Aaron Burr lived in Port Richmond in his final years. A humble commemorative plaque uh, makes notice of it uh, on Port Richmond Avenue. Neil. Yeah, Frank, on your way home tonight from work, could you bring me a couple of pounds of shrimp from the fridge and also a rye bread with no seeds? Raji. Stop the anti-Semitic propaganda that Israel for oil sends U.S.-made weapons to Azerbaijan to slaughter Christians in the Caucasus. In fact, those are Israeli-made weapons. Thank you. Larry. Unfortunately, it seems that uh, the Biden administration has a foreign policy to betray Iran and possibly to destroy Israel in the future. All right, we'll have to end it there. We are slated tomorrow to be joined by George Santos. Will it come to fruition? I don't know. Hopefully. Tune in tomorrow and find out. Uh, I have a lot of questions for him, believe you me. Frank Moreno, good day.